Hi, Lenny. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to episode 47 of the Front Porch Book Club. The Front Porch Book Club is a podcast that meets twice a month. We like to dig deep into the relationship between characters and the worlds they live in. Grab your book and iced tea and join us on the Front Porch. Wow, Lenny, our last episode with Doc Widman with Max Out Mindset was super fun. I have been wondering since we recorded that how the pickleball game is going. (laughs) Okay, first of all, I have to say that I did tell my pickleball friends about this. We got together off season to get together, play games and eat pizza. Excellent. But I have played pickleball one time last week. One of the things that I said I was having a hard time with because pickleball is so fast is what I can do when I have a negative self-talk to deal with that. Yeah. And I have chosen the word reset. Yes. And I use that throughout the game. Wow. And I have to say that it was immediately noticeable how much better my (gasps) mindset was. What? Thank you, Doc. (laughs) Thank you, Doc. I am telling you, it made a huge, to the point where I'm in that weird little squatted position that they want you in for a pickleball holding my racket. Yeah. Like, I feel so much better than I said the word reset. (laughs) So I'm telling you, the stuff works. I had pinpointed that as a problem area. Of course, the book is very helpful in what you need to work on, what strategy are you going to use, and it's worked like a gem. Wow. You're like the perfect person to demonstrate the importance of mindset. Yeah. And I can't say that I played a better or worse game. And that's not the purpose of the book. I'm not on the cutting edge of, you know, okay, now I'm going to the Olympics. I'm just, (laughs) you know, having fun, which is what the majority of people are going to be doing with this book. But absolutely, my mindset was changed. And so you were better able to focus on the game. You were more relaxed. More present. More relaxed, happier. Wow. And that makes you a better team player too. And that was in his book that if people are positive and they're relaxed, that affects your team. And that was one thing that I noticed by my negative self-talk. Am I wanting to hit the, (laughs) the court with my racket at times? Yeah. That I was affecting the people around me and I wanted them to continue to have fun and not have to worry about Linda's temper tantrum. <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, so I felt like I was a better person to play with. That's amazing. So I'm going to say this stuff works. It was noticeable. Reset works for me. That's what I'm going to use. I'm sold. I want to hear about you and tennis because you didn't say very much about tennis. Yeah. But you are an active sports person and you're active in tennis. And I know that you liked the book. Are you as far as incorporating one thing that you've learned so far or thinking about it? I am kind of good news, bad news situation. So the good news is every week I have a to-do list and this is just like a to-do list in my life and my writing just covers Mm -hmm. everything. And so I figured out how to add the process goals that I have for tennis into that to-do list. And so I have my classes that I want to take. I have the private lesson that I want to take. I have the 
ball machine time that I want to take. So every week I have that sketched out as things that I want to do. I also have my visualization and my meditation on there. And so those are things that I've added as a result of Doc's book. And also self-talk is important for me at tennis because I can get pretty tense And so I was quite excited going into league play on Sunday, thinking about being present and just gratitude was something, just the gratitude that I can play tennis, I thought would be helpful for me. And then I pulled my hamstring. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. We had to forfeit the game and I haven't been able to play since, but I think I'll be back next week. But I'm continuing to work on mindset during matches and thinking about how that can help me because I do feel like I do better in practices than I do actual games. And so I know that that's mindset related. It's not Mm -hmm. skill related. It's mindset related. So I think I have more work to do there, but I am definitely very positive about doing it and excited to hear about your progress too. Oh, Nance. Well, I think that you've done a lot of work here. I mean, the self-exploration part of it and the thinking through the issues and all of that, and then what you're going to do about is like 99% of it. I mean, execution for me was challenging because I couldn't figure out how to do it while actually doing a sport, (laughs) which let's just say it's, it's fast, but It's not like I have to do in three seconds, two spins this way, one this way, and then land (laughs) on two feet in a tiny little box, which is one foot wide. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, you've done a lot of work. And I do think that awareness is a big part of it. And then it's just figuring out the tool that will best work in the moment. For you. Yeah. 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 What's going to work? Well, that's very interesting. I would be interested to hear from anyone listening if they've incorporated anything too, because I think there's a lot of power in what he said and truth in it. And what I really appreciated was just the application of it. Mm -hmm. How do you do this? Yeah. And from my perspective, I love that it's evidence-based. I mean, it isn't just someone's kind of idea, but there's been lots of research around all of these concepts and the research shows us that these are powerful tools to use. And he summarizes it and presents it in a very accessible way, I think. Yes, yes. He he makes it very down to earth. Now, pickleball isn't fun enough. Well, here's our next book. It's called Such a Fun Age. So now I'm thinking this is going to be really fun. (laughs) Nancy's picked a fun one for us. No, I wouldn't call it fun. We were 20 somethings a long time ago. Yeah. And there is some fun in that age. Yeah. Uh, But there's some some trials along the way. But this is Kylie Reed. This is her debut novel, and it has received a lot of awards. It was a best book of the year in a number of lists, including the Washington Post, NPR, and Vogue. It was also a Reese's Book Club pick. The book starts with a racial profiling incident involving college graduate Amira, who is babysitting for a wealthy white couple. The white couple's name is Alex, but at the beginning of the book. And then she changes her name to 
Alex or something. Not yeah, really sure. Something. Um, and she's married to Peter and he's a newscaster. Amira is professionally aimless, but knows she needs to get health insurance by the time she gets kicked off her parents' plan. Alex has just moved to Philadelphia from New York City where she has been a rising influencer dedicated to helping women stand up for themselves. Alix has just had another baby and has hired Amira to mostly care for Briar. So um, Amira is taking care of this child who's like three. Yeah. Amira loves Briar and Briar's a pretty cool little girl. And she is quietly enraged with Alex when she favors the baby over Briar. Amira is at a local market, and this is where the racial profiling comes in, with Briar when she is accused of kidnapping her and confronted by a security guard. It's like 1030 at night. Yeah. It's the place down the street. Fancy place. Yeah. A fancy grocery store, apparently. And this... 20-something-year-old young lady is with this white little girl, and the security guard goes ballistic. The interaction here is then recorded by a bystander, who is Kelly, a man who later Amira starts to date, and Kelly is white as well. Yeah, so that's a great setup. That was kind of confusing, I think. (laughs) But but it, it sets up what the book is about. It definitely does. It does not start with anything fuzzy and warm. It's like, no, we're going to get right into it with racial profiling. I found it funny and also poignant, and it deals with issues of no surprise race, but also class. It's set in Philadelphia in 2015. And so Obama is still in the White House and Hillary Clinton is running for president and is really assumed to be the shoe in for president. And there's this belief that we're living in a post-racial society. This is what Kylie Reed, the author, really plays with. Yeah, you know what, Nancy? I didn't think this book was so funny. I don't know if I remember any funny times in this book. Really? So that's funny to hear you say that. Do you remember any funny components about this? I can't think of one. Well, I thought that a lot of the interactions were really funny because the characters were coming from such different places. And so it was these different perspectives on the same events and how they were communicating at crosswise purposes with each other. So I thought that part was awkward slash funny, how people get themselves into trouble just by the lens that they interact with Mm. the world. And then I also thought the girlfriends were very funny too. Sometimes, sometimes they were not helpful. Sometimes they were pretty mean to each other, but sometimes they were really funny in the way that as, uh, as little units, they operated in the world. Yeah. Are you talking about Amira's girlfriends or Alex's? Both both oh, sets okay. of yeah, both little pods of girlfriends I thought okay. were interesting, yeah, yeah and funny. Okay. Yeah, times. they added they added some good humor. Well, I mean, they they were more, I guess, humorous. Just their personalities were a little a little funny. Okay, so Nance, you wanted us to read this book. I did. Tell me, why did you choose this book? Because we have a lot of books to choose from. We really did. Well, I'd read a couple reviews. I'm kind of a compulsive book review reader. And 
So many of the reviews were very positive. So that definitely piqued my interest. Um, I had a general idea of the plot, this 25-year-old Black woman, Amira, being a babysitter for a white wealthy family. And that is a situation in general I'm very interested in because it feels like it is so rich for exploration. There's so many layers to that setup, and it's actually kind of a common setup in a lot of places. And I really haven't seen that explored. So that was really interesting to me. And I hope that the book would dig into some of those themes, and it really did. I did love how Kylie Reed presents these very flawed characters and shows how they each sort of feel like they have the moral high ground staked out, but how they're each deluded in thinking that they have the moral high ground. Just a couple of days ago, I was reading the definition of satire, and satire is being a comedy of beliefs, especially those on which an entire society is based. And I would say this book definitely satirizes the idea of a post-racial America and the idea of a certain sort of white progressive person who believes they've evolved past observing the old ideas of race and class. Alex, I think, especially as the character who believes she has evolved beyond that, but she is probably the most cringy character of all. Her cringiness is also funny in a kind of a sad way. It was really just the great reviews and the setup that I understood that she would be exploring. And the book did not let me down as far as that goes. So now I'm really interested in your first blush overall opinion about this book. Did you like it? Okay. I loved it. Oh, you did? Okay, good. And here's the thing. I think that I'm a slow reader and I raced through it. I loved all of the characters. I loved Amira a lot. Yes. I probably felt close to her. She's a very sympathetic heroine. She tries her best. She'd like to have a boyfriend. She would like to have some money. She'd like to have health insurance. She would like to have some health insurance. Yeah, she, she doesn't like to... ask for much out of life. Yeah, she, she'd like to have some kind of direction. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I remember being her age. And yeah. so although there was the theme of white privilege... There was also this theme of classism. Definitely. And so maybe that's why I identified with her so strongly. Like, I don't know how to get from here. Yes, I was a babysitter. I was in childcare as my first job out of college. And I remember asking people this, like, I don't understand how I elevate myself. So I understood where she was at, but still from a white perspective. And still from a perspective of being the majority race in my area. Yeah. But I remember feeling a lot of how she felt, certainly wanting a boyfriend, certainly want, I think a place of my own would be really nice that I don't have to live with roommates. Yeah. I liked Kelly too. I've known people like Kelly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I could understand him and get him, even though, you know, we have some differences too. And I love the girlfriends too. They were a fun part of the story mm-hmm. because you see them as more real people when you see them through and interacting with their friends rather than with Amira interacting with Alex. 
Yeah. (laughs) So you get the real side of who they are and what they're about. So I liked all of that, Nancy. What I really like about the books that we choose is, and this one in particular, is there's a depth in each of the main characters. Mm -hmm. And by the main characters, I mean all looks, (laughs) Amira and the boyfriend, Kelly. We get a lot of backstory. How did they get to this point? What were they like in high school? What were their families like? How did they get to that point? And then reaching out 10 years later, Mm -hmm. what are they like now? And how did that shape who they are? So I thought she did a great job with that. Our author was on Trevor Noah. Now, you know how I feel about Trevor Noah. You love Trevor Noah. I love Trevor Noah. And he's off The Daily Show. I don't know if you heard that. I did hear that. Okay. Well, I don't know how they're going to find a replacement. Anyway, our author was on Trevor Noah when her book was released. And she recounted that after nearly every reading that she did about her book, (laughs) an anxious white woman would come up and ask her, (laughs) I don't know what you want me to do. (laughs) I have heard other people say this too. Like the white people are just, I don't know. I don't know what to do. That is just so funny. And it seems typical of the person who was white saying, I'm not a racist. Yeah. I'm a progressive. I voted for Hillary Clinton and I like Trevor Noah or whatever they say, you know? And so I don't know what else I should do because I'm not one of those people that are Mm -hmm. racist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was a great interview. I loved it. I also loved Trevor asking Kylie how many times white person had asked to touch her hair. And (laughs) she said so many times. I can't even tell you. What is that about? I don't understand that. So I was listening to NPR, Fresh Air, which I love. It was Dave Davies, who was doing an interview with Princeton African-American Studies professor Amani Perry. And she's the author of a new nonfiction book, South to America. Hmm. That book just received the National Book Award for nonfiction. In the book, she's talking about white supremacy. And she says, part of the growing up that Americans need to do is to get over feeling anxious about the problem of racism and needing to be innocent in order to even engage. This idea, I'm not racist, I'm not. And she (laughs) says, well, it's a racist society. So let's just operate with the assumption that that's just in the air. Now, what are we going to do? And what I like about that, especially vis-a-vis what uh, Kylie said on Trevor Noah is, you know, maybe we just need to not try to proclaim our innocence and just say, look, it's in the air. We live in a racist society. And what are we going to do about it? What I like about Kylie's book is she isn't making a strident case about racism. She just shows how it plays out. She's just like, okay, this is the air that we breathe. So what does that look like in the lives of these three people in basically modern day America? People thinking that they're doing their best. Well, what happens? Yeah. And and (laughs) the people that want her to stand up and say, hey, this is the racial profiling. How unjust is this? Are the two white people? Yes, exactly. It's not even her. She's like, I just want this to go away. <laughs> right. She does not want this to become a public issue. Oh and you can goodness. understand why. 
Of course. <laughs> She's kind of humiliated and embarrassed by it. And she does not want to be known as the black girl at the bougie <laughs> supermarket with the little girl. Yeah. And she isn't really dressed for it. No. <laughs> she isn't dressed for a babysitting. These white people have called her up at 1030 at night. She's in her mid-20s. She's having fun with her girlfriends. She's out on the town. Sure. <laughs> She's not dressed up in <laughs> looking like she is a mom right. or a babysitter. So yeah. she does not want that to be out there. But of course it does get out there, not by her own doing, which is probably the cringiest part of the whole book yeah. is that somebody took that power from her. Oh. And that's when I lost a lot of, I lost a lot of respect for Alex. <laughs> When she did that, I was giving her the benefit of a lot of doubts, understanding that this is just who she is and where she's at in life. But you do that. That's that was not good. I'll tell you what. Alex had absolutely no idea about boundaries between her and Amira, because along the way, she is reading what's on Amira's phone that's sitting on the table in the doorway of their house. Yep. She has no concept of boundaries. And yeah, so does, when but... she finally gets around to leaking that tape, it's like, well, the natural outcome of the path that she has been walking along. Her character is interesting because when she's a teenager, like her senior year, she has called out what her peers would have said was racist. Yeah. And she didn't even think that that was racist at all. She doesn't see it in herself. And that's where I think a lot of white people are, is they're like, well, I'm not racist. Yeah, but look at what you did. Mm -hmm. See, everyone else is saying that was racist, but you. And so there's... <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a defensiveness. Well, I love all people. Right. I have friends that are African-American. I have friends that are this and that. I love all people. Yeah, but see what you did or how you said that is offensive. And can you see somebody else's perspective of it? So I like what the NPR lady, Amani Perry, said, mm -hmm. because as White people, I think even if you're in a very multicultural setting, you're kind of blind to your whiteness, like you're blind to the privilege that you have. And then you see it in society and then you kind of go, oh, yeah, see, the police don't act like that. I think there's some ageism going on here, too. I think there's an ageism thing, a classism Definitely. thing. Because when Amira is racially profiled, she finally says, look, I will call Briar's father. He's yep. an old white man and you'll feel better talking to him. And you yep. know what? The security guard definitely felt yeah, better talking I <laughs> to Peter, the old white man. Alex is definitely a striver. And we learn that her family came into wealth when she was a teenager, but they were viewed as very trashy, wealthy people who basically had no taste, but they lived in a huge mansion and they had a black maid who crucially and Why damningly do that? had her wear a uniform right in the world in this day and age. But then one of the things that Kelly finds very objectionable is Alex kind of has 
a uniform that she makes available to Amira when she's babysitting Briar. And Alex has all kinds of reasons for it. Amira is like, well, I just don't want to get paint and stuff on my clothes when we're doing that. Kelly says, really, how, how many days of the week are you guys painting every day that you need to wear this polo shirt that Alex has provided to you? So some of this is just very, very complicated with different points of view about what's going on. And speaking of Alexa's friends, she has some very successful friends who are black, her, some of her closest girlfriends. They're very smart. They're very accomplished. And they don't really seem to see Alexa's racism either. They have a very close relationship with her and they never in the book call her out on anything. And maybe she interacts with them in a different way than she does Amira. So then you would say, well, maybe it's mostly classism, not so much racism. I don't know. What do you think? First of all, the uniform thing. My thought on that was that it really wasn't a uniform. But again, there's gray area here because I think, wasn't she like looking at her outfit thinking, I don't know that I want to get. And she said, well, you can wear this if you want. Yeah, I've got a bunch of polo shirts yeah, from just, my business. Yeah, one of the polo shirts. Yeah. But here's the thing. She purposely then uses it. Alix never asks her to put it on. She assumes at some point, this is what I'm supposed to wear. Mm -hmm. And so there comes in the gray understanding of I'm in her house. And so this is what I do while I'm in her house caring for this child. Mm -hmm. mm. I didn't really hold her accountable for a lot of her misgivings as much as Kelly did when he heard this. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. They don't talk about it. Yeah. And Alex is really blind to a lot of things that she is doing. Now, Nancy, if somebody came to my house every day and picked up the same shirt and put it on when they were caring for my child... Don't you think I might have said somewhere along the line, honey, if you don't want to wear that, don't wear that. Like, <laughs> you don't have to wear that. Yeah. You can have whatever's up there in the closet. You can wear it with your one, but you don't have to. She just assumed. Yeah. And she just let things go. She felt, at least from a classism point of view, she felt like I have to lower myself to this person and I have to take care of her. Yeah. And I have to show her the way. Yeah. But there is some level of understanding in herself that she had to diminish herself. Mm -hmm. And right there is where you see the racism that was so much in her spirit, but she couldn't see it. No one called her out to say, you're lowering your, yourself because you think you're over top of her. Mm-hmm. And no one called her out on that. I don't think she ever verbalized it, but her friends were saying, well, you need to treat your nanny good. If you want your nanny and you rely on her, you need to treat her well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what does that look like? That means throwing her more cash. That means trying maybe to be her friend. You are her employer. Yeah. But Alexa's friends were encouraging that friendship. They were. But did they have nannies? Yes. 
they had nannies too. You know, Nance, we don't know very much about the nanny life (laughs) in New York City on the Upper East Side. No, nor do we know a lot about classism either. Mm -hmm. I mean, my child went to daycare so I could work. I did think it was interesting that one of Amira's friends calls one of Alexa's black friends an Uncle Tom. And this is near the end of the book. And so Mm -hmm. that, of course, is referring to a character in Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin. And it's a very derogatory phrase used for someone who is excessively subservient to white people. Alexa's friends aren't really subservient to her. And in some ways, they're really pretty mean to her. They're just as shallow as she is in oh, terms absolutely. Of, of their privilege. They encourage her to try to befriend Amira. They encourage her in all kinds of not very helpful ways. But mostly their main concern is she just needs to lose her baby weight and that that is the biggest problem in her life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. They're a little bit shallow. So they're interesting group to have her bounce off of, but therein lies a lot of classism, I think. Yeah. I was also really interested, and I forget her name, the lady who was Alex's friend, who was the principal. Mm-hmm. She was an African-American lady. Mm-hmm. And she, even with Amira, was like, honey, I'm going to mentor you and I'm going to help you get to the next stage in life. Yes. And I wondered too, if she was white, she probably wouldn't have done that. But she saw her too as somebody, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to elevate you to be in a better position than where you are now. For Amira, she no more welcomed that than she welcomed Alex trying to do that with her. She's just like, "I, I don't need this in my life all these people trying to befriend me. Yeah. Is she not just valuable and fantastic just the way she is? Yeah. Yes, she is. But she does know that she needs health insurance. So in some respect, she knows my friends are doing better economically. Mm -hmm. They have gotten that first good lead out of college or that second or third job. They are better off. My peer group does have their own health insurance. My peers are not needing roommates as much as they did. And I'm still stuck here and I'm trying to figure out what I need to do. What am I good at? Mm -hmm. Where's my next step? I'm happy to help people along because I remember how hard that was. Mm -hmm. So I'm not judging the principle for wanting to do this for anyone, but it shines a light on other people around this young girl were thinking her as less than, Mm -hmm. and no one was really saying you are fantastic just the way you are just for being you. You're cool. She was cool. She was very cool, but it seems like Alex wants some of Amira's coolness. I mean, one of the things that really attracts Alex to Amira is that she is, she's just cool. I think that's also what attracts Kelly to Amira, that she's just a a cool girl. Yeah. She's not too riled up by things. No. She is pretty much a steady person. Even when they see each other on the subway after this incident, Kelly is groveling after her. And she's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I kind of know you. (laughs) No, we're not going to go out for drink. I don't even know you. He has to really try hard to get her to see him and go out to get a drink. 
I do think Alex really, really wants to be Amira's friend, but it's not just because Amira is cool. It's after the racial profiling incident that Alex even starts paying any attention to Amira at all. Beforehand, she had not paid any attention to her, but after the incident, she becomes obsessed with getting Amira to like her. And she literally in the book starts fantasizing about them becoming good friends and having a glass of wine together and going out together. And she starts understanding how cool Amira really is. But she also presumes Amira is poor and uneducated. Well, she knows she's poor because she knows how much she pays her, which isn't much. But she kind of assumes that Amira is uneducated. And like you said, she kind of downplays her wealth. She sometimes modifies her language to use simpler words and is surprised when Amira uses bigger words. Like she doesn't really understand. She graduated from Temple with a undergraduate. She's educated. But I thought that that was very interesting that Amira is basically invisible to Alex until the racial profiling incident. And Amira is also basically invisible to her boss at the Green Party until after the incident becomes public. And Amira, as far as we know, isn't noticed by Kelly until the racial profiling incident. So this racial profiling incident is what makes Amira visible to all these white people who then want to use that incident and prove, I think, to themselves or to others how they want to help her in a paternalistic way or prove that they're not racist or prove they're not classist or whatever it is. I, it's just very, that's a very interesting, inciting incident that sets so much of this in motion. It's a very interesting take on that. I thought that Alex knew she was getting a Temple graduate and was surprised when she met Amira. She knew that she was a college graduate. She did, but she keeps forgetting that in the way that she interacts with her. And then when Amira uses certain words, Alex is kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't expect her to know that word. And then she has to think, oh, yeah, I guess she did go to college. But it's just that more full understanding of who Amira is isn't really in Alex's consciousness about who Amira is. Yeah, I didn't even take it that far because I remember when she goes to visit her, there's sort of a realization, oh, of course she would live here. Yeah. And so I didn't even think that she knew enough about her to even bother knowing what kind of apartment she lived in. Like she hadn't really thought very much about how she was even living her life. Part of the reason is because Alex is pretty self-centered. She really doesn't think much about people beyond her interaction with them. She doesn't even think much about her little daughter, yeah. who sounds very cool. Briar is a cool little daughter. And it seems like Amira understands her. Definitely. And is raising her very well. And her mother's kind of clueless and annoyed. Mm -hmm. But this little girl's cool. So she got a good person to help her. And I understand her feeling of, I'll just take her. 
okay, I guess I would be in prison if I did. (laughs) Might not not be a good idea. But there are moments she would like to just save her from her mother and is afraid that little Briar, if her mom raises her, she's going to end up becoming just like her mom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think she'll definitely clash with her Mm -hmm. because she she does have a strong will there that you see already and is able to see things through her own lens, which is kind of interesting for a little girl. And at the very end, I love that scene where Amira, a year or two later, sees Briar and she uses one of Amira's turns of phrase when she's talking to another woman. And so you have an idea that Amira has been able to imprint love and some very positive aspects on Briar that no one will ever be able to point out specifically as Amira's influence, but absolutely Amira's influence will live on in Briar in positive ways. Yeah, that was really nice. I think, Nancy, this is one of those books that we'll talk about just between ourselves. Yeah. Because it is rich in a lot of different areas. I enjoyed talking to you about it today. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm glad you liked it. I wasn't sure at first whether you did or not. Oh, really? Yeah, just at the beginning of this conversation, but I'm glad you did because I I really enjoyed it. But, you know, as usual, I think sometimes we have a little different experiences with the books that we read. So it's always fun to hear your perspective. Yeah, yours too, Nance, yours too. So Nancy, it was fun talking to you about this. So we'll have our our next drop in a couple of weeks talking more about this book. I love our little chats. I do too. Good seeing you too. And everybody, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Our website is fredporchbookclub.com. Linny, see you next time. Okay, see you, Nance. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>